And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Jerry Newcomb. He is the author of the book, The Unstoppable Jesus Christ, How Your Faith Can Triumph in a World Gone Mad. And he serves as the senior producer and as an on-air host and columnist for D. James Kennedy Ministries. Uh, Dr. Newcomb, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. You know, I somehow came across um, your book. I still haven't obtained a copy yet. It's called The Unstoppable Jesus Christ, How Your Faith Can Triumph in a World Gone Mad. And that caught my eye because there's so much push against the gospel today, or so it seems. And uh, it always seems like people highlight uh, how things are going bad for the Christian, and many times they are. But this argument that the future doesn't belong to the Christian religion, uh, can you address that? Uh, that's, let's, let's start there, if, if possible. Sure. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government there shall be no end. Jesus Christ is indeed unstoppable. Actually, the, the working title of this book was The Unstoppable Jesus Christ, which of course is not a word. But the reason uh, for that particular title is because that is the name of one of my columns, the first column I use in the book. I write a weekly column, as you mentioned, I'm a columnist with D. James Kennedy Ministries, and they get out there, those columns get out there with WorldNet Daily and often with Town Hall and the Christian Post and Newsmax and thank God and you know all these other different outlets. I thank the Lord for all those things. But anyway, uh, about five years ago, I wrote a column about an incident in a university where the professor said, okay, everybody, take out a sheet of paper, a fresh sheet of paper with nothing on it, write the name Jesus, put it on the ground, and stomp on Jesus. And I was like, what? And This is a, at a college. And so uh, one of the students there uh, yeah, refused to do this, refused to participate, and then told the world about this in you know asinine assignment and uh and I wrote about it, and I called it the unstoppable Jesus Christ, <laughs> and that became really the kind of the the catalyst for the whole thing you know that that some people think you know they can just stomp on Jesus if you will, uh and that the future does not belong to Jesus, but it most certainly does belong to Jesus, this slice of history. This is 2020. We just passed the, you know, the new year, 2020. Where is that number derived from? Of course, the birth of Jesus Christ, 20, 20 years ago, you know. Uh, Actually, it's off by a few numerals, but that's only because the Roman monk that counted the time uh, did not have access to a computer and everything, and he missed a few of the emperors. That's how he counted the time. But the fact of the matter is that time is measured through Christ. We are between his first coming and his second coming. Jesus Christ is coming one day. What is happening right now in history? I'll tell you what is happening. This is what is happening in history. The fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a verse from the Old Testament, of course, but it is a verse that's quoted in whole or in part more than any other verse in the whole New Testament. That verse Psalm 110.1 is the most quoted verse in 
the New Testament from the Old Testament. What does it say? It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Mm. What is God doing in history? God is making the enemies of Jesus Christ a footstool for his feet, either in the positive way through conversion or in the negative way when they die. And then, and then, of course, then they will stand before Jesus Christ. We will all stand before Jesus Christ, give an account for our lives. And in some cases, he will say, depart from me, you, you cursed. I never knew you. Get out. And then they will go to a place that they don't want to go, but they'll be away from the presence of Jesus Christ mm. forever. And uh, there's a word for that, hell. And so anyway, uh, the, uh, the the bottom line is that this time of history the enemies of Jesus Christ are slowly being made uh, a footstool for his feet. Now, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like, you know, there's progress and there's regress. I always remember the phrase from Chuck Swindoll where he said, you know, three steps forward, two steps backwards. (laughs) And uh, I think that often applies, you know, when you're trying to lose weight, three steps forward, two steps backward. You know, you you start to lose weight, then you get back a little bit more, you know. (laughs) And that's almost, that's trivial, but when it comes to the kingdom of Christ, God is slowly building his kingdom around the world, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so this book is a compendium of more than 100 columns I did, beginning with the first one, which um, showed how Jesus Christ is unstoppable. And if I may just add one quick anecdote from that particular column. One time, William F. Buckley, Jr., uh, who was uh, uh, committed Christian in, in the Catholic tradition. Sure. But he understood who Jesus was and so forth and, uh, and believed in him. And he one time introduced a debate between a believer and an unbeliever on the subject of the Gospels and the reliability of the New Testament and so forth. And he said at the beginning of that debate, he said, if during the course of this debate you see the skeptic disappear up on stage in a puff of smoke, then recognize that Jesus Christ up in heaven has just cleared his throat. <laughs> and I, I think, wow, what a perspective. We need that kind of perspective. Yeah. You know, I, I, another anecdote that I mentioned in that particular column, I said, look at, the, look at how you had these beautiful uh, plantations in antebellum America. In other words, in, in the, the Deep South before the Civil War and so forth, you had all this, this stuff built on the back of these you know, this terrible institution of slavery. Mm-hmm. And yet you had a lot of those people who were enslaved, who became believers in Jesus Christ, and they sang songs among themselves. Some of those are collected. We call them today, they used to be called, uh, you know, Negro spirituals. Now mm-hmm. they're called American, American spirituals. They are still used Sometimes in churches, uh, I, I I was talking to a friend who did some concerts of classical music in Russia, including some classical music in the American tradition, and included in there were some American spirituals performed in other countries. Those hymns, spirituals, are still with us today, while those plantations and that you know wicked way of life is gone with the wind. Mm. But see, Jesus Christ is making. He is, he is building his church around the world. And we, we, so often this is done under the radar, and we don't see it. We see the, you know, the, uh, the terrible examples of wickedness succeeding in high places. 
But through it all, you know, Jesus is, is still building his kingdom. And, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm thrilled because we, we didn't rehearse this ahead of time. Um, I came into this uh, discussion, I, I brought up an old quote that we all have heard probably a thousand times from Abraham Kuyper. And he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And um, I, I think there's a lot of folks out there, and, and including some Christians, that say, well, you know, Jesus, he's just within the church. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't want him, or, he, you know, or maybe we think that he himself doesn't want to be involved in uh, our daily grind, um, even politics, or, or how we're to govern, or our economic systems, uh, you know, the honesty of an economic system, or, or the arts and sciences. Now, he, he, he's on the periphery there. Uh, have you ever sensed or heard those sentiments? Oh, yeah. Oh, multiple times, and uh, it's just a, it's a very bifurcated, uh, you know, truncated version of Christianity. He said before he sent out the disciples to make disciples of all the nations, <laughs> he said to his apostles, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. So what's the predicate? What's the the foundation, if you will, of the Great Commission. It's that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. D. James Kennedy and I have written some books together, and I I count that a great privilege. I've actually written 19 books uh, with him, and the first one we did was called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Mm. And it's all about how because Jesus was born, look at all these incredible ways in which human life has been positively impacted. And people just often don't think about it, but hospitals were created by Christians who were just trying to obey Jesus Christ and to go and do likewise and, you know, be good Samaritans. Even that phrase, good Samaritan, uh, in Jesus' day, a Samaritan was like a, an ethnic slur. If somebody was, a, you know, called a Samaritan, that was a bad thing. But he told a parable one day in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan, and today the word Samaritan in our culture means a do-gooder, only because of Jesus saying that one day. I mean, the, the impact of Jesus Christ in, in every way imaginable is just it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And people need to realize that, that Christianity applies to all of life. Jesus is Lord of all. And in fact, in this book, just to give an overview, as I said, it's more than 100 columns that I, I wrote and compiled together and then put a big big index together of it. So you, if you remember, you know, you want to look up that Bill Buckley quote. There it is, Buckley, William F. Yeah. Buckley, Jr. Anyway, I, I've got a whole section on Jesus Christ, a whole section on Hollywood and the media, and also a whole section on the Bible, a section on the church, on Christian bashing, on Christmas, on Christian history, on science. A lot of people don't realize that the Bible gave birth to science. A whole section on Islam, and then uh, miscellaneous musings, then the seven deadly sins, and then apologetics, the defense of the faith, and finally death. A Mm. whole section on death, because the Christian view of death is so different than the world's view. Oh, it is. It is. And and I, I enjoy the discussion today because we're really uh, contrasting the world standards with um, 
the Lord's standards. And one time I, I was reading online, uh, there was a critique of uh, what we're trying to do here at Redeemer, and someone said, oh, you, you guys are no different than Islam. And I thought, well, you've got that totally mistaken. Um, our belief is that Jesus changes the heart, and it's a bottoms up. And as we fall in right. love, you know, fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, we start obeying his laws and living a holy and godly life, and we realize, oh, Jesus has a claim over everything. Uh, he's not limited uh, to just the church, as we were saying before. And so this is a completely different approach. This is this is bottoms up, if you will, but it's Holy Spirit empowered. It's not some kind of a, a, a political nightmare coming down on the people, forcing the people into something. It's a willing, loving obedience to our exactly right. heavenly and, Father. And, exactly. In fact, in the section on Islam, one of the columns in this book is called Vengeance is Ours, says the Islamist. Yes. And what that, uh, that column, it, it dealt with one of the jihadist attacks, the one with the uh, cartoonists in, in France, uh, and, and so forth. And here's, here's the gist of it. The gist of it is that the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And the Christian, even those experiencing persecution, not wanting persecution, or experiencing martyrdom, not wanting martyrdom, but it happens because we will be faithful to Jesus even unto death. But the Islamist feels that the Muslim must uh, take care of, um, you know, of Allah's honor. It, it's up to him, not up to Allah, uh, to take yes. care of it. And this is a very interesting thing because I know somebody from Egypt and these people from Egypt who were Christians and they left Egypt because they wanted their children to have a good future. They left and and they said that one of the phrases that um here here let me let me just quote directly from this column. I know some Coptic Christians from Egypt whose people are routinely persecuted by Muslims. They told me that the Copts C-O-P-T-E-S. That's a, that's a Christian denomination. It's sure. in the Orthodox tradition. They have a saying to the effect, God will protect the Bible, but the Muslims need to protect the Koran. Mm. So in other words, honestly, Christianity is of divine origin. <laughs> the Bible, even though it is attacked over and over and over, uh, you know, God does protect it. Now, of course, we are called to be apologists, we are called to, to be defenders of the faith, but not defenders of the faith unto death. In fact, when Christians ever picked up the sword in order to, let's say, try and defend or purify Christian theology, which happened in the Middle Ages, that people were persecuted. Let's say, you know, a perfect example is the Spanish Inquisition. That is so unchristian. You know, honestly, we look at that and we say, how in the world could anybody have done that, thinking they were somehow serving Jesus Christ? As we point out in the book, what if Jesus had never mourned? Which Middle Ages saint or, you know, Middle Ages Christian leader was closer to Jesus? St. Francis of Assisi or Tomas de Tocamada, who was the, you know, notorious leader of the Spanish Inquisition. Mm -hmm. And the answer is so obvious. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi, who, 
you know, just tried to be consistent in his love for Jesus Christ, but would never use torture or something like that to try and force people to believe the right way. In fact, one of the great contributions of America to the whole world is that the founding fathers and before them the settlers, they had to learn how to get along with each other, and they gave us to the whole world, really, religious liberty that you can believe. You can even believe the wrong thing. You have the right in America to be a heretic, and God will hold you account if you're a heretic. Mm. But but it's not up to the state to do that. In fact, you know, the, the founders, based on the Christian idea of this, this idea, they said, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. There will be no national denomination at the federal level in the United States of America. And uh, that has allowed us to flourish. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a, a, a great contribution that Christianity has made to the world. And a lot of people don't even realize that one of the great mediators of that was Thomas Jefferson, whose theology wasn't totally always accurate. He <laughs> went through different phases in his life. But early in his life, when he was a professing Christian and still involved in a you know totally orthodox church the, in the Anglican tradition, he he said that if you try to force people to believe something contrary to what they believe, you are departing from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who, being Lord of both the body and mind, chose reason and not force, as was in his almighty power to do, in order to spread his, his uh, you know, belief in him. So in other words, Jesus Christ did not force people to believe a certain way uh, now we we do need to believe a certain way, and you know we will give an account <laughs> for him one day. But it is not up to the state to bear the sword correct. to enforce you know correct Christian doctrine. And when people did that, they deviated from the plan of Jesus Christ. Roger Williams, the founder of uh, of Rhode Island, said the same thing. William Penn, same thing. Um, that, you know, the government should not force people in terms of what they believe. Now, we will all give an account before Jesus Christ one day, including those who believe false things and spread those false beliefs. But it is to Christ we'll give an account, and not it should not be to the state. And, and that's why there's a huge difference between Islam and Christianity. Oh, yes. Amen. Well, our guest today is Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Uh, He's written the book, The Unstoppable Jesus Christ, How Your Faith Can Triumph in a World Gone Mad. And uh, as I've watched the news over the past couple of years, um, some of this madness has really come forward. And it's like people have let down their veil and showed us who they really are. And it's it's quite scary, but uh, it shouldn't be too scary because we're just seeing the the old sinful nature, you know, Satan's kingdom as opposed to God's kingdom on display. Now let's talk about um, a, a difficult subject, and that is poverty. I, I often share with my wife back and forth concerning uh, poverty and welfare and excessive handouts, and I, our conviction is that ideally— uh, Christ wants um, welfare to come from the church and from good Christian organizations. Again, a bottoms-up. Um, how do you see government? Uh, should they be in charge of our welfare system? No, I would agree with you. And I, I think that, in fact, when the, when the church 
you know, was involved, it was a much more positive and effective uh, thing when the uh, when the state does it. It's it's not effective, and it's not up to the state to do that. Um, in fact, even the idea of social justice, in effect, is is a is an oxymoron. You know, when you get down to it, because if it's justice, then uh, it, it needs to be from the state. Does that make sense? I mean, in other <laughs> words, uh, you know, the 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 state should not be in the charity business, and by being in the charity business, so called. It has really, you know, uh, it's actually caused poverty to increase. For example, the whole welfare system, one of the aspects of it is it chased dad out of the house. And yes. when you chase the father out of the house, you end up exacerbating poverty. So in the case of the, the war on poverty, we lost. We did. Seriously, we lost the war on poverty, and we've seen an increase in poverty. And so I think that's a terrible shame. Yeah, and um, I opened with a quote from Kuiper, and I just went on the website, and I, I just even now I, I came across another quote that relates to this. He says, the holy art of giving for Jesus' sake ought to be much more strongly developed among us Christians. Never forget that all state relief for the poor is a blot on the honor of your Savior. The fact that the wow. gov- yeah, the fact that the government needs a safety net to catch those who would slip between the cracks of our economic system is evidence that I have failed to do God's work. The government cannot take the place of Christian charity. A loving embrace isn't given with food stamps. The care of a community isn't provided with government housing. The face of our Creator can't be seen on a welfare voucher. What the poor need is not another government program. What they need is for Christians like me to honor our Savior. And that, again, came from Kuiper, from the problem of poverty. I thought, that's a, that's a wonderful quote. Yeah, that is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting when you look at the example of the pilgrims. This uh, 2020 oh, yeah. marks the 400th anniversary of the pilgrims coming, and uh, there was a uh, a form of socialism that was mandated by the adventurers, the the London adventurers, these London businessmen that were Christian-minded, and they lent the money to the pilgrims in order to be able to come to America because they didn't have enough money, you know, for the voyage and everything, the voyage of the Mayflower. And so anyway, one of the stipulations, though, was that there would be a common store. And in effect, there would be socialism. If somebody worked real hard, he would get just as much or just as little as somebody who didn't work at all. And after about two or three years, Governor Bradford could see this is not working well. And he said, boy, we thought we were smarter than God, (laughs) you know, and uh, we were following Plato instead of what the Bible says. The Bible says, if a man will not. In other words, if a man refuses to work, then neither shall he eat. It's true. And he, he said, and he said, when they applied that principle, all of a sudden, the poverty, the, the meager harvesting and so forth, just it just took off. And it was absolutely tremendous. And so it made a huge difference. And, uh, and I think that's a lesson we can learn from them. So we don't, uh, you know, have the exact you know, repeat that kind of thing. Oh, that's excellent. You know, by the way, if I could say something, there was a, um, a 
book called Toxic Charity by Bob Lupton, and he, he once said this. He said, give once, and this is like in reference to welfare and that kind of thing. Give once, and you elicit appreciation. Give twice, and you create anticipation. Give three times, and you create expectation. Give four times, and it becomes entitlement. Give five times, and you establish dependence. Yes, yes. Now, you know, think about this. Did Jesus put these people on earth in order to not fulfill their destiny? I'm serious. I mean, think about that. Think about all the the people who are just, let's say, they get government welfare, and they don't they don't work. They don't apply themselves. He didn't do that. He didn't. He's got a destiny. He's got a plan for each of us, and we should, you know, ask him to guide us and to show us the right way. And work is a part of that. It's a beautiful thing. That means, and that doesn't necessarily mean work outside of the home. I mean, for a, a mother with you know small children her destiny is in my opinion usually you know right there in the household oh, sure. and, and she can make a huge difference in in the lives of those children i know a, a lady named star parker she's a columnist now oh and, yes and, we've uh, interviewed she's her written some books yeah okay well she used to be on welfare she had four abortions and she used to have a totally you know pagan worldview and pagan lifestyle and then she got saved. And when she got saved, she met with one of her pastors or with a pastor one time. And he said, what are you doing on welfare now that you're a Christian? And she said, well, I don't know. And, you know, it just never dawned on her. And, and he said, get off welfare. And she's become a very hard worker. It's and true. she's making a huge difference for good. And, um, you know, so I think we need to, you know, it's one thing to talk about the safety net, a, a safety net that's there to help those, especially those who can't help themselves, those who are, you know, real hard cases or whatever. But it's another thing for the state to just take over more and more and more. And there's never an, an end to it. No. And, um, you know, as, as D. James Kennedy once said, the great transfer, you know, of all the, the great society has led to the great debt. And it's so true. Well, um, this has been rich. Thank you so much. Today we've been talking with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, and uh, he's written the book, The Unstoppable Jesus Christ, How Your Faith Can Triumph in the World Gone Mad. And if someone would like to order the book, where can they go to get it? You can look at jerrynewcomb.com, and you can have access to all you know information on, on all those books and television programs we produce uh, for D. James Kennedy Ministries and columns. And, um, and I've written, by the grace of God, I've got like 32 books that I've written or co-written, so I'm very grateful for oh, that. Oh, that's beautiful. We'll put that up on our website. And uh, thank you so much today. I'm sorry we're out of time already. Dr. Newcomb, my dear friend, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. God bless you now. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. 